Back here at the NFL Scouting Combine, I'm Matt Taylor, joined by Casey Vallier, also on Radio Row. We're going to talk about the Jacksonville Jaguars. Unfortunately, the first time we've talked extensively about Jacksonville since they knocked the Colts out of the playoffs, essentially, in Week 18. John Osier is with a senior writer for the Jacksonville Jaguars and a former Hoosier, still a Hoosier at heart. John, welcome back to Indianapolis, sir. Absolutely. Always always good to be back. Always uh, good to talk to you guys. And mm-hmm. uh, always good to be back on the site that I, uh, <laughs> I inhabited for 10 years. That's right. So, 10 good years. John used to litter Colts.com with a, a ton of good information covering Peyton Manning and Reggie Wayne back in the day. Let's start there. Are you surprised that Reggie didn't make the cut to the Hall of Fame this past uh, February? I was disappointed for him. Uh, you know, our thoughts in Jacksonville – have been so Tony Baselli centric and, re- uh, and rewarded. Yeah. yeah, that I hadn't really uh, focused too much on Reggie. Uh, I really want Reggie to get in, uh, mainly because in, I don't know, 20, 25 years covering the league, I would put Reggie in among my top five, six favorite guys I've ever covered. Uh, an unbelievably good guy. And in my personal opinion, I think he's very underrated as a receiver. Mm-hmm. I said before, I, uh, you know, there's this perception that it's Marvin Harrison one and Reggie and I, and, I, and I Reggie Wayne two in that era. If you look at the numbers in the impact, it's it's close and in big games I would have taken Reggie. He made a lot of big catches that put that team in a lot of situations, and in, in the postseason Reggie Wayne mattered mm-hmm. to that team. Uh, I don't think they're as successful without him. So um, if I had a vote, if I was lobbying. Uh, my first thought now is going to move to Fred Taylor because he's yeah. our guy and a good friend of Reggie's. But it would be nothing better than if Reggie and Fred, no who are very close, could go in together because I kind of feel like they're very similar cases, uh, very underrated for how productive they were. Do you think he'll make a good coach? I do. Yeah. He, he uh, The reason he's one of the favorite guys I've ever covered is not for what he did on the field. I loved watching him play. I respected incredibly uh, Reggie's ability to get better each year. He was mm-hmm. very underrated. He was not a particularly effective, uh, productive player. 01, 02, and even into 03. It was 04, I believe, uh, yeah. when the team really took off and they had Stoke and uh, Marvin Harrison and, and well, Reggie. That was the year they all had 1,000 yards receiving. Peyton had the 49. Right. It was, it was his fourth year before he was a great, great player. Mm-hmm. And the reason he was able to do that was not because of physical ability necessarily. It was because he taught himself to play. He was that disciplined. Mm-hmm. There was the incredible stat, and I, th- I think it was 09, 010, one of my last years there. Um, he missed a practice. And it was the first practice he had missed <laughs> wow. since 2001, right. I believe. And I think I've got that right, but it was an incredible streak. It was not an Ironman yeah. play the game streak he had never missed a practice right. during that time I, th- I think he had his high ankle sprain in 01 and if I'm not mistaken it was 2010 before he missed a practice yeah that doesn't make you a great coach but his ability to communicate his ability to relate with people I could tell you many many stories along those lines his ability to relate to people to uh, uh, understand what needs to be said in incredibly uh, good explaining what he's trying to say mm-hmm. uh I loved Fridays with Reggie. That's what he used to. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I had <laughs> – I got him one-on-one two or three different times for uh, back when they had the Scout magazine. Mm-hmm. And I did Q&As. I always looked forward to talking to Reggie because he was never talking in cliches. He was always trying to tell you what he 
meant and what was really on his mind and trying to do it in a way that you understood. Mm -hmm. I, I've got to think that's something that's going to translate to coach. And if I'm a receiver in that room, uh, <laughs> yeah, he's a guy I listen to no. without thinking about it. Just turn on the tape. Yeah, Man, that right. speaks for itself. There's no question about that. That's John Osier, Jaguars.com, senior writer there. Um, you've been covering the Jaguars for probably – just as long, if not longer, than you cover the now. Colts. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So you've seen some stuff. I have um, seen some stuff. And it, it, it seems like every year you see stuff. And uh, let's start there. I mean, Doug Peterson now the head coach. The dust has kind of settled on all the changes in the front office mm -hmm. this offseason uh, for the Jaguars. What do you make of the changes? Do you like them? And do you think they're going to pay uh, big dividends this time? Well, you know, I'm hesitant on the dividends part. After being there 10 or 11 years, uh, people who follow the Jaguars want to see it before they believe it. Uh, we've had a lot of off-seasons where we've talked, yeah, this is going to work, this is going to work. Mm -hmm. Here's why Doug Peterson has a chance to work. He, he's, uh, you know, he, he's probably similar. I, I only spent maybe an hour with Frank Reich, and that was back in 2009, I think, 2008, when he was a quality control guy. But you sort of knew immediately Frank was going to be a head coach. He had that ability to communicate. He had the demeanor. He had that calmness, uh, the professionalism. Um, I'm assuming that he's a lot like Doug in that way. Mm -hmm. Doug, our first glance is that he's that guy. He's an NFL head coach. Uh, that's a big difference from what we had in Jacksonville last year where a lot of Urban Meyer's downfall was just not knowing how the league worked. Does that have to fail? No. In this case, it just didn't work in terms of trying to do the day-to-day. -day. Mm -hmm. Doug Peterson does the day-to-day -day NFL in his sleep. So that's a big factor there. They, uh, his ability to work with quarterbacks, which I think is, an, is another thing he shares with Reich very much, uh, has to help Trevor Lawrence. Trevor Lawrence had a great end of the season, as Colts fans know. Yeah. He struggled most of the year. There is an incredible amount of ability there. And Doug's main task right now is, you mentioned the dust settling, to let the dust settle, let everything calm down, and let the Jaguars become a professional football organization again, mostly with a developing professional quarterback because Trevor Lawrence is the key. I got one question. I don't know how, how well we can answer this, but it seemed, you know, let's go back a year ago now, the Jags were one of the sexiest, you know, mm -hmm jobs because of having that first overall pick and having Trevor Lawrence. Now you've seen Trevor Lawrence for a year. Do you think that job is still that same appeal or is there, you know, a little difference in that with, with well, Doug Peterson coming in? It had a little bit of, uh, there was an extra because he had an extra second, I mean, he had an extra uh, first round pick yeah. last year. So there was that appeal. You had all the Ballyhood cap space, yeah. 80, right. $85 million. To me, cap space it's fine. I always think it's a little overrated because uh, free agency is so tough to build through, to build your team yeah. through free agency. You can look at $90 million of cap space, and then realistically, what's that going to buy you? Two guys. Exactly. And yeah. what are you buying in free agency right. is always the concern. I mean, it, maybe I spent too much time around Bill Polian back in the day. <laughs> but, you know, when you're buying in free agency, you're buying somebody else's cast-offs, and that can right. be dangerous. Yeah. They're so, free agents for a reason. Exactly, yeah. as Matt's always said. And yep. so, uh, but that had appeal last year. And I think it had the appeal also of Trevor Lawrence had no dirt on him, if you will, I mean, meaning mm -hmm. no dirt from looking at him on the field and saying, well, he didn't do this, he didn't do that. It was a clean slate. Trevor didn't have a great year. I think it's not as sexy publicly as it was last year, uh, but I think it's just as good a job, if, if not better, because you've got Trevor, 
you still have Trevor Lawrence, who still is a generational talent. It, I would phrase it like this. It's up to Doug Peterson to make it the job that everybody thought it was last year. Yeah. Because now he's got to start maximizing Trevor Lawrence. Uh, there's no reason – my opinion on Trevor Lawrence hasn't changed because as coming in last year, he was a potential great player who needed to be molded into a great player. Uh-huh. He still hasn't changed from being a potential great player. Colts fans saw that. Now it's just a matter of can he actually do it. I don't want to open up old wounds, but I do find it fascinating that you said that you know, Doug Peterson is coming in and, you know, the, these first couple of months he's going to be charged with uh, bringing the, the Jaguars and run, running them like a professional mm-hmm. football team again, which infers that they weren't last year sure. with, with Urban Meyer. I'm not surprised that it didn't work. Um, and quite frankly, I'm not surprised that he didn't last one year. What I'm really surprised with, though, is that he didn't get fired for anything that happened on the field right I mean I guess are you surprised that the Jaguars misidentified if you will Urban's character for lack of a better yeah term. it's uh because I, I had that's what shocked me yeah I I guess not surprised I guess the way I would address Urban is uh Shad Khan really wanted it to work and on the surface, there was a lot to like about the situation, meaning you had Urban Meyer, who, who had had nothing but success. It had worked with Jimmy Johnson. There had been college coaches come in to do it. Um, the problem turned out was when he actually got to the NFL, uh, he used the phrase a lot, and he talked a lot about, well, I'm learning this. I'm figuring it out. Um, at some point... You have to be ready to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think when you're learning it and figuring it out, then all of a sudden players, uh, to me, a head coach is as valuable as how much players believe in him. Mm-hmm. Um, I think most coaches know about the same amount of football stuff. I think a lot of it's uh, turnkey stuff, uh, in-game coaching, fine, whatever. Head coaching to me is about if, if a team believes in you. If, if, the, if when you're talking to the front of the room, players are buying your bs or not yeah yeah and if they are then you're okay if they're not then you've lost it right i think urban's inexperience was probably a factor that made it difficult to hold that line uh, throughout the course of the season when they hired him last year did you did you think all right this is this is going to work or were Um, you did you have your doubts i hoped because you know it's always good when the team you cover is is good right uh you know in retrospect, it's easy to say, oh, yeah, yeah. I knew it wasn't going to work. Um, there were things you sort of liked for a while, uh, and then it all started to go sideways, and then you started to realize it wasn't going to work. So it's rare for that not to work to such a degree that you don't make it through an entire season. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I think uh, Shad Khan, the Jaguars' owner, who's uh, gotten a lot of grief for the hire, uh, it's also easy to stick with something like that too long out of pride. And I think he looked at it week 12, week 13, and said, you know, I tried it. I'm going to take a hit for firing him, but it's time to move on. And I, uh, I credit him for doing that, and it seems like with Doug Peterson you have the opposite. So yeah. uh, I'm optimistic about that part. Yeah, you go, you go from all the drama to love and ice cream <laughs> right. with and, Doug Peterson. And <laughs> the, the thing with Doug, when I talked about the professionalism at the start, 
it's really just a matter. There will never be a case next season where Doug comes in and says, well, I haven't seen that. Right. Uh, boy, I'm surprised it works that way. Mm-hmm. Um, and that happened a lot with Urban. Yeah. And uh, that was something where he, he would use the phrase a lot. Well, I'm having to learn that. It's the first time I've seen that. Um, it's not the place to do it. Yeah, th- that's fine if you're winning through that. Right. It becomes tough, I think, for players to hear when you're not winning through that. You know, it is interesting. I mean, we talk, we're talking about Doug Peterson here, a guy who's just, what, six years? Is it six? Five years removed from a Super Bowl? Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty, pretty impressive resume to have. When you look at the differences you're going to see on the field, is it going to be a drastic change from what the Urban Meyer regime was? Two One, three Peterson, games. I hope or, it's drastic. I mean, <laughs> but, but I'm saying as far as, you know, maybe the pieces that they built yeah. around. or What type of difference do you expect to see, you know, from an early standpoint of the year? You know, it's, it's – uh, I think you'll see a uh, defensively a fairly similar scheme. I think a, a lot of that, it's tough to answer yet because I think they're still in the process of looking at Trevor and figuring out, okay, what does he do well? Obviously, uh-huh. if, if you look back at what the Eagles did, uh, there's a lot of RPO stuff with Wentz. Uh, Trevor has the ability to run that. I don't know that they necessarily are going to want to expose him to as many hits as perhaps Wentz took uh, because the idea eventually with Trevor is to have him be a pocket passer. So I think you want to be cautious with that. But I think if if you look at the Eagles' blueprint, uh, when they were good, they were an aggressive team. They did a lot of analytics-based things, and they did a lot lot of RPO-based things. Uh, The challenge for the Jags and their path this year, I think you will see them over time figure out what Lawrence does well gear toward that and uh, that's certainly the goal they've hired five coaches with quarterback experience yeah it is a system right now Mm -hmm. trying to build trevor lawrence into what they think trevor lawrence can become they have the first overall pick again for the second year in a row obviously last year you got the the franchise quarterback hardest thing in the nfl to find this go around john obviously when you only win a couple of games you still have needs what are those needs, and, and how do they match up with this draft in terms of how you see it? Yeah, it's a fascinating thing to try to figure out because everybody, or I shouldn't say everybody, many, many people are uh, projecting Evan Neal, the tackle from Alabama there. He makes sense on one hand because you say, okay, you got to build around Trevor Lawrence. Problem is they've had Cam Robinson, a left tackle, who's a free agent, but they can still franchise him for a relatively reasonable amount. You drafted a kid named Walker Little last year mm-hmm. who played in place of Cam. He started against the Colts. He played well at left tackle. So you ask yourself, with all these needs, do you really take a left tackle, number one, you know, or do you go pass rusher? Well, they've got Josh Allen as a pass rusher, so they're relatively strong there, but you can never have too many pass rushers. So it's a long-winded way of saying because of the talent they have on the offensive line, they've been a good offensive line, not a great offensive line. You also couple that with having a draft where you've got Evan Neal, but he's not the clear-cut number one. You have Aiden Hutchinson who people are talking about. You have other offensive linemen who people are talking about. Right. So there's not that plug-and-play, oh, we have a need, we're going to take this guy because he's the best at that spot. I would guess they go between Neal and Hutchinson. Um, my gut right now is saying Hutchinson because they've got pieces on the line they can plug in the offensive line. But that gut is based on my gut, which, you know, after three days of the combine, isn't that great? <laughs> so, yeah. You know I, how that goes. I got a question to follow up with Hutchinson. It's kind of seemed to be the M.O. of the last handful of years is taking 
you know, an edge product mm-hmm. for the Jags. You've got Caleb on Chase on Josh Allen of recent. So what is that saying about those guys they already have in place if they go after one of these guys or you just look at it as, you know, a lot of people weigh that whole best player available right. for need. You know, if Aiden Hutchinson is a generational guy, is that just why it is? Yeah. Uh, Josh Allen um, has been hurt in the last couple of years by playing on a team that never has a lead. Uh, he had 10 sacks as a rookie. I think he had he was hurt in his second year, which was 20. Played okay this year. When they had a lead, he was pretty good. At, as you, you guys against know, Buffalo. if you have a lead, it's much easier as a pass rusher to function. When you're not playing with a lead, it's very hard to get right. opportunities. So uh, he is a guy I expect them to sign him to a second contract, either this offseason or next offseason. He's a franchise core guy. Chason has not lived up. He was a 20th overall pick in the draft. He hasn't been that guy yet. So if it's a choice, I don't think having Chason on the roster would certainly preclude them from taking Hutchinson with the fact that, A, general manager Trent Baalke uh, from his time in San Francisco is a, is a huge edge rusher, yeah. believes in pressure up front, believes that you win games that way. Uh, that pick, if they feel good about the offensive line, they would feel great about taking an edge rusher there because it's the old saying, you can't have too many. Even if Chason winds up fulfilling potential, you're not going to go wrong having elite, you know, three elite pass rushers. You can figure out a way to play them. Yeah. John, last one from me. I mean, again, if you look at, at, at Jacksonville, um, you know, prior to that week 18 game against the Colts, they were on an eight-game losing streak. Um, they got housed against New England the week before. Yeah. Um, the last two seasons, as you know, I mean, Jacksonville's 4-29, and but half of their wins are against the Colts. They've won seven straight games against the Colts as the home team. Yeah. Why? Me, Matt. <laughs> What's the difference? Give us, give us, the, give us the nuts and bolts of your pregame speech to the Jacksonville Jaguars no. every time they play the Colts. It, it's honestly one of the strangest trends because the Jaguars, except for 2017 when they beat the Colts up pretty good, uh, they were a really good team with a really good defense. So that wasn't surprising that they were able to handle Indianapolis that year. The others have, have been uh, a variety of things that – this was a topic before the last game mm-hmm. in Jacksonville. And people would ask me, and I kind of poo-pooed it, because 2016 – or was it 15 they won 50 to 16 or it, it, it was something, 51 uh, maybe let's see yeah yep but that's right it was a complete outlier and the colts actually were dominating and controlling that game yes for the first uh, quarter and a half so it wasn't like there was some bugaboo that year but all of a sudden two or three things changed and that jaguars game was easily their best performance in a four-year period under Gus bradley uh when they beat the colts that day mm-hmm they had one in Indy where they took a huge lead. They're not really similar games. Right. That was the 10 sack game, I think, that you're talking about, right? Well, that Jag- was one the Jaguars in Jaguars had 10 sacks? Yeah. I mean, in London, yep. there was a weird game where the Jags all of a sudden got a huge lead. Pulled away in the second half. And Andrew Luck was on those teams. They fared well when the Colts had an elite quarterback in Andrew Luck. They fared well when the Colts had clearly a better roster the last few years. The weirdest one... I guess this past year was weird because the Colts were going after the playoffs. 
But was the opener in uh, yeah, 2020. 2020 yeah. and six to nothing in 2018. Six yeah. to nothing was you know. <laughs> yeah. Now that was a very very good Jaguars defense. Yes. That was right. hurt that year by an offense that was really uh, crippled in a lot of in a lot of ways. Yeah. They came together. That game was very similar to their Buffalo game this mm-hmm. year, where they just played lights out, and that was also the game. I, th- I think Frank went for it down near the goal line when a he lot. probably could. You know. Yeah. So maybe played into their hands a little bit. But, but again, here we are talking 150-6 game, or 50-16, to 6 nothing. Uh, the opener in 2020 when the Jaguars were not a good team, and I think the, I think the Colts that day had a chance to be up 14 nothing early Yep. and sort of let the Jags hang around. Then uh, C.J. Henderson, who's not even on the Jaguars anymore, has an unbelievable game, mm-hmm. by far the best game he ever has in Jacksonville. It's, you know... <sighs> It just seems to happen a lot. next year when somebody asks me if this is a real thing, I'll have to say yes. <laughs> I, I think a, it already is. Yeah, it, it, it's a, but the case I tried to make late in the season was it's clearly not psychological because nobody on the Colts is thinking about the 2016 game. And I can't really believe that this year the Colts were coming down going, oh, Jacksonville's got our number. Well, so I think it's just a weird fluke. What? See, I, I, I want to believe you. Yeah, but I know. There's just something about the buzz, the though, rivalry. I mean, I mean, as you know, I mean that that was the talk all week. Was you're going to a place where you haven't won since X, right? And that that was part of it. I in mean, order to make the playoffs, yeah, and I'm, I'm just playoffs, curious on on the Jaguars' end, did they hear that and just relish the fact that they could play spoiler? You know, on hard knocks. I never <laughs> got it, that. May have had something in terms of being motivated. I honestly think more than anything, that was the game where. Trevor Lawrence started to play well. Uh, he he kind of came out and was very relaxed and feeling it. Yeah. Um, does that explain why the defense all of a sudden played that well? I, I just don't think that – it doesn't seem to me like the Jaguars think about it that much. Yeah. Um, maybe the Colts do. I haven't been in the Colts locker room in 11 years, so I can't let me, speak Let me that. ask you this, and I know we're beating a dead horse, and it doesn't matter because it's the past and it's all hypothetical anyways. But, again, I talked about the New England game the week before in week 17, 50 to 10. I'm just curious. The Colts won the toss. They deferred. If the Colts get the ball first and they go down the field and they score a touchdown, does that do – the, do the Jags just give up then? I mean, does the, does the tone, does, does the energy of that game completely change? It's always hard to say what ifs. Right. I can tell you the New England game, from talking to people afterward, they knew going in they were in trouble in that game. That was the week where they had probably 35 guys who didn't practice because of COVID. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, especially on defense. <laughs> I remember getting ready for the game the following week oh, and, yeah. and thinking, yeah. who, who the heck is available here? Yeah, they had multiple guys. And uh, talking to uh, Joe Cole, the defense coordinator, afterward, he said, yeah, you're just up against it yeah. when you have a defensive secondary who hasn't practiced the entire week against that offense. Yeah. So maybe that duped the Colts a little bit to thinking they were really bad. Jaguars' defense last year was at times a very good unit mm-hmm. that was capable, if they got in the right circumstance, to shut you down. They had not played with a whole lot of leads all last year. The Colts game, because Trevor played well early, happened to be a game where they got a lead, were able to hold it. Um, so 
I'd like to think it's more that than any sort of hex. But, uh, you know, for that matter, being with the Jags now, I'll take the hex. Yeah, <laughs> so. absolutely. I, I think it's real. I think it's real until it's not real. Let's put it that way. That's John Osier, senior writer from Jaguars.com, former Hoosier, uh, still currently a great guy. Not a former great guy, still going. John, really appreciate your time, my friend. Always good to talk to you, and welcome back to town. Anytime, guys. Thank you.